0: Scripture reading today is from Luke 5, 1 through 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were waiting their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook and all followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Ian Johnson, and I am a sinner. Man, it, it feels really good to get that out there. I know I hide it really well, okay? But the rumors are true. I am a sinner. Uh, I have been a sinner for a long time. I've been sinning since I was just a little guy, just a little tyke. Uh, okay, so I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good at it. I don't want to say I'm a natural or anything, Uh, but I've been sinning for a good long while. Uh, you, uh, you might feel the same way about yourself, and you're probably wondering, why did they make us wear these little sinner tags many of you have on, so that's my fault, so I'm sorry. (laughs) You're not going to hear, like, a fire and brimstone sermon today, so don't worry about that, uh, but, but you would agree with me. That's, that's something I think a lot of people I know, uh, do pretty well. You're quick to admit, yeah, I'm a sinner too, I'm not perfect, um. And that's really important, no doubt about it. It's important that we as Christians are quick to admit that. You know, I think if, if we talk about how Christians are stereotyped nowadays, uh, self-righteous is a term we would hear. Uh, something we might hear is, oh, well, they don't really see any bad in themselves, but they're quick to point out uh, the bad in other people, you know. Uh, there are certain things about, about being judgmental we might hear. So it's, it's good for us, you know. In fact, I would even argue you probably can't, Uh, share the gospel effectively if you're not willing to admit, uh, I fall short in a lot of areas. So that's good. Um, That's good for us to acknowledge our sin. In fact, I think that's healthy. However, I worry sometimes that in an effort to avoid, you know, that far end of the spectrum where we're considered self-righteous and prideful, uh, I worry that we jump to the complete opposite side to another point that is really unhealthy as well. Uh, And that's, that's when we start to make labels. That's, that's when this happens, you know. We label ourselves uh, and we get caught up in what we have done instead of who we are, what we belong to. Uh, that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, we, are, we are in our end Then series. This is a series that uh, CIY's MOVE conference did all of last summer. So uh, our, our teenagers who went to MOVE last year, uh, we're not doing like the exact same sermon, so to speak, but we're covering the same topic. So uh, anytime we have a chance to invite you guys into what our teens have been learning. I consider that a win, and I'm excited about it. Uh, And so last week, Kurt led us in a great message uh, about seeing, and I get to talk about following. And here's a simple truth you all need to know today, that I need to know today, uh, that God wants you to follow him. Uh, Jesus, Jesus specifically wants you you know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, he just wants some followers. You know, people like like Billy Graham, may God rest his soul. You know, that's somebody Jesus wants to follow him. You know, Francis Chan is somebody that Jesus wants to follow him. You know, my pastor and that that missionary that our church supports, those are people that Jesus wants as followers. No, Jesus, he wants you as a follower. You sitting in that chair right now, he desires to have you follow him. So what gets in our way? Well, there's a lot of reasons that, that it's hard. I don't want to downplay the difficulty of following Jesus. In fact, Jesus says if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So it's, it's already difficult enough. Um, but I've noticed something about myself, and maybe you feel the same way, is that sometimes when it comes to following Jesus, uh, we're the ones who make that hard. I've, I've read a lot of articles about like, self-perception uh, these last couple of weeks to kind of get prepared for this message. And I was kind of surprised at how many people uh, in that field kind of talk about it as a stumbling block for what we want to do. You know, and you may have heard like motivational speakers talk about how sometimes the biggest hurdle to success is your own self. Uh, and I think that sometimes that can be true for us when it comes to following Jesus. Uh, do we qualify? Do we measure up? Uh, when I was growing up, I played basketball, which I got, I got asked a lot because uh, I was tall. I wasn't any good, but I was tall and people would always say like, Oh, you're tall. Do you play basketball? Which I do not appreciate because I, I don't say, "Oh, you're short. Do you play miniature golf?" You know. <laughs> and I don't. I don't really say, sinner. <laughs> yeah, I don't really say that. Uh, I don't. I would never be that mean. Uh, but yeah, I I played basketball. I, I was I wasn't really qualified to be on the in the starting lineup. Really wasn't qualified to be on the court much either. Uh, so if you watch basketball on TV, there's always like. That really tall, awkward guy who never gets out of his warm-up clothes, and he's always on the bench. And his job, it, it kind of looks like this. Number one, uh, he, like, he makes sure that nobody goes out on the court when something awesome happens. Uh, number two, uh, he gets really excited whenever his really talented teammate draws a foul and goes to the line. And then number three, uh, he gets left hanging on a lot of high fives, you know, <laughs> during timeouts. That's, that's pretty much, I'm pretty qualified for that. That's more my wheelhouse. Okay, Uh, you know, there there are certain things we might want to be a part of, whether it be a team or a workplace or an organization, and the qualifications are pretty steep. Uh, There are certain prerequisites that are required, and some of those are kind of beyond our grasp, and so we feel excluded. Listen, when it comes to following Jesus, one of the problems we have is that I fear we are so quick to disqualify ourselves before we even get going. We have already decided how that's going to end. Well, I've messed up. I've done too many bad things. I'm one of these right here. And I'm reminded of of Simon Peter uh, when we talk about that. Peter, of course, is kind of the feature character of this series that we're going through. Talks about Peter's life. Kurt uh, mentioned this last week. Peter—he kind of resonates with all of us because he's very similar to us. Peter is the perfect example of the quintessential Christ follower. You know, he—he's passionate in moments, and in other moments, he's a little shaken. Sometimes he fails. Sometimes he succeeds. Sometimes he sticks his foot in his mouth. Uh, we all have kind of experienced our Peter moments. And I love the text I'm going to read today. That's in Luke chapter five. Uh, you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. I believe it's also on the back of your bulletin. Um, and we will start in verse 1 and go all the way to 11. Uh, this is a story where uh, Peter has first encountered Jesus. This is his first time being around Jesus, um, and Jesus calls him to something pretty big. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read here. It says this, uh, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake But the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, So Peter, what we really know about him at that point is that he's a fisherman. So, like, he makes a living for himself. It's nothing impressive, sure, but, uh, you know, he's got a living. He's got something that he's probably felt like he does pretty well, and, and he does, does okay for himself. Uh, but the problem is, uh, based on some of this, sounds like business wasn't exactly booming, okay? Um, and, it, and it's interesting, you know, I, I think when Jesus first is in this story, I wonder how Simon Peter even feels about him. <laughs> because let's, let's see what happens here, okay? So, Peter hasn't been catching fish lately. Okay? Really, really bad business so far. Uh, and this preacher shows up, and he brings, like, all these people down to listen to him. So now not only is he doing a poor job fishing, but now he has an audience of, like, hundreds of people to watch him do a bad job of fishing. And then not only that, but this preacher says, Hey, can I, can I use your boat? Can you take me out onto the water a little bit so I can preach more? You know, Peter's got a job to do, right? Or a job to not do right now. Uh, and so he takes him out there onto the water, and then not only that, but this preacher... Tells him how to do his job. That is something we don't like, is it? Yeah, we we that's we're really tempted to sin when someone tells us how to do our job, right? But that's what Jesus says. He says, "Hey, uh, try casting your nets on the other side." And so Peter, of course, he says, "Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing." <clears throat> However, I feel like uh, in this passage we don't we don't give Peter enough credit because here's what happens. He says this, but at your word. I will let down the nets. And so he does. He says, Jesus, I've tried this already, but okay, at your word, I'll do it. And, you know, we we talk about following Jesus and what that might take, and I think this is a good example of sometimes all it takes to be a good follower is to just do what Jesus asks, to say, at your word, I'll do this. I want to have, like, this really catchy tagline, like, following Jesus is, like, some kind of cool dominant thought that you guys can hang your hat on, and I can't think of anything flashy. The only thing I really know to say is, like, following Jesus is just obeying Jesus, doing what he says, and that's not always easy, but that's just the simple truth, but what I love most about this part, you know, Simon not having any success, but then Jesus comes along, and all of a sudden, he's he's pulling in all these fish. It says this, uh, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Uh, I I love this. We learn this about God. It's that what we see as desolate, God actually sees as opportunity. I love that. I love that. When we see something that's worthless, uh, God knows exactly how he can make it valuable. So I'm going to jump over to a different Bible story here. Uh, I apologize. Uh, to the book of Jeremiah. I, I love Jeremiah. He's one of my favorite figures in the Bible. Uh, to put it simply, he grew up in a really interesting time when his people were in exile. Uh, and you know, we kind of know that the the tune to all of this, you know, God's people had been constantly turning their back on Him and worshiping other things. Finally, God allows uh, other peoples at different times to come in and, and take over them, and, and the Israelites are led out of their homeland into exile. So Jeremiah is growing up in a time where there's not a whole lot of people who are standing for God. And time after time, God actually uses Jeremiah as an object lesson for his people. And in Jeremiah 32, it's no different. Uh, Jeremiah is instructed by God to take some money and go purchase a field in a land called Anatoth, okay? Uh, Which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, Uh, but Anatoth was a place that at the time was really dangerous. It was essentially a war zone. So uh, a scholar I read, he likened it to this. He said, imagine uh, you, a comfortable American, wanting to purchase land to live on in Afghanistan, Okay, It was something that was seen uh, as crazy. Why would you want to do that? Uh, everybody around Jeremiah, including his cousin who sold him the field, they were saying, why, why would you possibly want this? Uh, and, and the answer to that comes with another question. Well, why would you buy any plot of land ever? It's because you plan on using it. And God took that bleak situation and he invested in it because he had a plan for it when nobody else did. See, that's who our God is. And if I had to go through the Bible and I had to pick one theme, one reoccurring theme, which would be really hard to do, I would probably say uh, the Bible is just this continual story of God investing in those bleak situations. Uh, We see that in Jesus himself, who though he is God, he came down in the form of this humble man who had to walk uh, everywhere he went and was put on a cross for us. I mean, God takes the bleak and he makes those things impressive. He makes those things powerful. And even in this simple moment between Peter and Jesus, we see that. Peter says, at your word, I will let down the nets. And Jesus does something awesome with that. Maybe you can be a great follower of Jesus if you're, just, you're willing to just let down your nets a little bit. Uh, continuing on, so, so we see that they reel in the fish uh, verse 7, uh, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Uh, earlier we had on the screen the message version. I, I like the way he put it. Uh, Peter uh, essentially says this, Leave me to myself. Peter is is doing something that honestly we have done many times In our own lives. He realizes that this isn't just some normal preacher. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the guy he's been hearing all the buzz about. And the minute he finds that out. He becomes very self-conscious. He says, Jesus get away from me. You don't know all the bad things I've done. I'm one of these guys right here. Okay. I am a sinful person. Listen, the truth is this. That sometimes we don't hear Jesus and what he's calling us to. Because we've already disqualified ourselves we have already made a decision about who we are and we've slapped that on ourselves like a label. Kind of like these things right here. And we make that our identity. Now, I, I want to clarify, sin is something that is, is very dangerous and should be dealt with seriously. So I don't mean to say that we shouldn't take it seriously, but I do think this, I do think it gets dangerous when we make sin our whole identity. It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, I, I mean, I do this all the time, too. I feel like I'm preaching to the, to the choir here. I mean, c- can I be honest? Like, th- there's a lot of things wrong with me. One thing I, d- I don't tell a lot of people, um, kind of embarrassing, I've always had a really bad anger problem, which you might not know about me. And I'd, I'd like to think, you know, one-on-one conversations you know, it's like, oh, Ian's a nice guy. He's pretty even-tempered. But, yeah, I, I, I guess I've just always had trouble processing my emotions. So if it, if it builds up enough over time, sometimes I just, I just let it all go, and it's tough, and it's embarrassing. But you know what? That's, that's just who I am. And can I, like, really disclose something here? Man, sometimes I'm really rude to my wife, you know? Sometimes I just feel like I'm a bad husband, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I know marriage is hard, and and people told us to expect that, and and you you say, Ian, you're only a couple years in, Uh, but listen, guys, there are times when I just speak to her in a way that I know was wrong, and it doesn't matter if I'm frustrated, and I'm ashamed of that, but you know what? Like, that's just, that's who I am, you know? Guess what, Uh, students in the room, I want to tell you something crazy since I'm already kind of disclosing things, I don't read my Bible every day. I Also, like, I don't pray every day either. And you know what? Like, I know I should, but I don't. And part of the reason I do that, and I know I tell you guys in Sunday school all the time, read your Bible, pray, and all that stuff. But I just don't feel like doing it. I don't really see what the point is. And you know what? That's just because lazy, lazy is who I am. You know? And man, sometimes, like, I suffer from anxiety, and I I know that's a a serious thing that's a much bigger part of some people's lives, but I do. There's moments where I think all of us deal with with anxiety and and this insecurity. I mean, in ministry, I wonder, well, youth group, the numbers were low. Am I doing something wrong? Or I think about that sermon I preached or that lesson I taught, and was it good enough? Uh, Did I do something to upset somebody? I had a weird interaction with that person. Uh, I need to think back through all the things I said to them. Did I make them mad? Man, that's a trap. But you know what? That's, that's just who I am, guys. That's who I am. I'm anxious. I'm a bad husband. I, I deal with anger. I'm insecure. I'm lazy. Sometimes I'm uncommitted. Man, it's tough. You might, you might understand. You might do the same thing. You know, we, the next mess up becomes another core piece of your identity. I did this. You know, I'm just a liar. I'm just a cheater. I'm just a thief. Uh, You know, I look at stuff online that I know is bad. Uh, All these things, these are all a part of who I am. And here's the thing. If the story ended right there, it it would kind of make sense if if Peter said, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Jesus, he might have said like, oh, wait, you're a sinful man? Okay, thank you. Can you take me back to shore so I can leave? That would kind of make sense to us, right? But that's not the end of the story. No. Uh, It says this. uh, Jesus says, do not be afraid. This is in verse 10. Do not be afraid from now on. I will teach you to fish for people. So what Jesus is saying is like, yeah, I I know that about you, Peter. I'm aware. I know about you. I know you're sinful. Come on. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come let me teach you how to fish for people. And what we've got to realize is this, we mess up and we sin, and and that, that is a bad thing. Like, I don't want to just glorify the fact that we're all sinners, but we're still called to follow Jesus. That doesn't... Disqualify us from following him. Do you look at the 12 guys Jesus chose to be his disciples? That's a rough group of guys. They got to get their act together. It doesn't disqualify you. Jesus knows what you've done more more than you know. And he's still waiting for you to follow him. That's just the truth. And and here's something. My my favorite thing in the Bible, I, I love this. It gets me goosebumps every time. I love it when God changes a name. It just, there's something about it that just gets me. And, and he does that with Peter. We're going to talk about that more in future weeks. Uh, one of my favorite stories in Genesis is in chapter 32. Um, you probably have heard of Jacob. Uh, do you know what his name means? Deceiver is, is what his name means. Uh, and it's a pretty accurate name because Jacob, if you know this, uh, he deceived his brother out of his birthright. He stole his birthright from his brother. Uh, and to do that, he deceived his father by making his father believe he was Esau. His brother. Uh, so, And then there's multiple times in his life where Jacob plays that role of deceiver. And in Genesis 32, that all kind of comes to a head. Uh, the scripture tells us he's by himself in the wilderness. Uh, and this man appears uh, who begins to wrestle with him. And we know that story about Jacob wrestling with God. And towards the end of it, uh, the man makes Jacob say his name. He says, tell me your name. Jacob says, well, I'm, I'm deceiver. That's when he says, not anymore. Now you are Israel. For you have contended with God and man and you have prevailed. God has the authority to change names. God has the authority to change what our identity is. And that's why I want you guys to hear this. I hope it's okay with me if you walk out and this is the only thing you remember. It's this. You do not get to decide who you are. You can decide what you do. Don't get me wrong. You can decide what you you do with this information and how you live, but you do not get to decide who you are. Jesus has already done that. Uh, Jesus has taken all those things that you've done, and he knows them. Like, you're not the only one who knows what you've done. Jesus is aware, and yet he is still calling out for you to follow him. He sees you putting labels on yourself, and he says, no, stop. That's, That's not how I label you. I know you've done that. That's not how I label you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child because I went to the cross for you, and my blood covered all that stuff. You do not get to decide who you are. That's already been decided. Jesus has made you his. So all these things, like, don't worry, don't worry I got a shirt underneath this. All these things <laughs> that we take, you know, we, we say, well, I'm lazy or I'm a bad husband or a bad wife. And, I, you know, like, I have bad language and sometimes my anger issues are a problem and I'm anxious. We get to take all that off because Jesus has decided, you know what, that, that we're free. He's already put a label on us that's more real than any of these other things, okay? Jesus takes those labels, and he just wants to peel them off. A couple stories, and then I'm going to instruct you guys in something, and and then we'll be through. A couple weekends ago, Bethany and I went with Paul and Kara Martin to Superstart. That's like a weekend CIY trip for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. I I think my job's a little difficult. Uh, Paul and Kara are the real heroes, so... (laughs) Uh, that's a whole different ball game. Uh, no, it was, it was a great week. Uh, one thing I noticed was, so we're at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, and we're in this arena, and not only are we with our preteens, but we are with like hundreds of other preteens, okay? Um, and so we're often having to navigate our preteens through a crowd full of preteens. So uh, we're just trying to say, okay, do we have the same number of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders when we started, and are they all part of our group, or did we steal some on accident, okay. Uh, so we're, you know, it's it's just kind of chaos, and you got to navigate through that. Uh, and I, you know, I would usually be in the back, so I'm behind our group, and I would often see, like, you know, one of our kids. They lower their head for just a minute, and all of a sudden, they start to trail off, and they lose the group, okay? Uh, so you you got to go try to chase them down, but they they get farther and farther away, and then it's they turn around and they realize, oh wait, where did they go? And the reality is, it's it's harder for them to follow the group because they've distanced themselves so much that's like, that's how we think about sin, I think. Uh, we think, so, so think about this. Uh, each time you sin, you take a step away from Jesus, okay? So you, you sinned uh, earlier today, okay, all right, you said that bad thing about a coworker. okay, you moved further away, you lied to your spouse, okay, you did that. And you, you keep sinning and you keep moving farther and farther away. And normal logic dictates that the farther you move away from somebody, when you turn around, the harder it's going to be to follow them because you put too much distance. Here's what I love about Jesus. This is how Jesus is different than anyone else. It's that you can step away from him and you can continue to move away from him, but if you're just willing to turn around, he's going to be right there every time. It's not too late and you are not too far gone. If you turn around, Jesus is waiting there for you and he wants to peel off all those labels you put on yourself. What does it take to be a follower of Jesus? I have a story about a guy, kind of a weird name, his name's Ara Ohanian and he works for Google. And he has a really unorthodox way of of conducting interviews when he's looking for uh, prospective employees. Uh, So there's a story about one guy he wanted to bring on to his financial staff and they were in San Francisco at the time so we had the guy hop in his car with him and they drove all the way down to Los Angeles. That's like a five or six hour drive. Okay? They just talked about life, you know, like anything you do when you're road tripping with an old friend. They get to Los Angeles And they hop back in the car, and they drive back to San Francisco. When they get back to San Francisco, the guy gets out of the car, and Ara says to him, "Uh, I think I want to give you this job. And the guy in the article I read, he was like, I didn't even realize I was being interviewed the whole time. He just snuck that in there on me. Uh, But what Ara says uh, is, uh, you know, I I don't want to just ask business questions. I want to know who I can do life with. Uh, So there's a story about him conducting two interviews at a Halloween party. Okay, so he's in costume, and he's interviewing these people for Google. He's dressed as the Tin Man, guys. Uh, Yeah, so they they had a picture. It was great. It was awesome. Uh, But he was interviewing two guys. Uh, The first guy comes in, and he sees that the Tin Man's wanting to interview him. Uh, And he says, uh, hey, I'm sorry. Can we reschedule? I can't take you seriously right now in costume. Let's try this another time. And he leaves. The second guy comes in, and he sees that... Ara is in costume, and he says, can you give me just one second? And he runs out to his car to get a bandana so that he can be the scarecrow. Who do you think got that job? Second guy, yeah. And I've heard about how Ara, uh, he'll, he'll do the, the road trip thing, he'll do things like that. He'll take some people that he's interviewing on, like these like, five-hour-long hikes in Wyoming, and he keeps coming back to this. The people that I want to hire are people that I just know I can do life with. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Not, do you have this experience or this degree? Can you do life with our team? And while that might not be the best thing for every career context, I think it does teach us a really important principle, which is this. When Jesus looks at you, he's not trying to size you up and see if you're qualified enough to be his disciple. Spoiler alert, you're, you're not. I'm not either. What he wants to know is this. Are you willing to share your life with me? Are you willing to walk with me? First John two six says anyone who claims to live in Jesus must walk as he did. So following Jesus is not about being qualified. It's not about uh, sinning less than other people. It's about this: Are you willing to just walk with Jesus? Are you willing to let Jesus come into your life and peel off your labels because he has named you? He has decided who you are. If you believe that's true, here's what I want to invite you to do. Uh, the band is going to come up here in a little bit, and they'll be uh, leading us in worship. Uh, while that's happening, you might have noticed we have three tables. We have one right up here, and then we have two on either side back there. Uh, on these tables, you will find, uh, you will find Sharpie markers, and you will find blank name tags. What I want you to do during the worship is I want you to go to one of those tables, and I want you to take a name tag, and I want you to write something that's true. Yeah, okay, you're a sinner, but that's not your identity. So what I want you to do is I want to write something about your identity that is true. Maybe you put that you're valuable, that you're saved, that that you're free or that you're loved. Maybe you put down that you're adored. I saw some people in the first service say disciple or or follower. Um, It might look different for each person, but I want you to take that and I want you to put it over your sinner label. Because when Jesus died for you on the cross, what his blood did was it came down and it covered all those other bad labels. And because of that, you don't have to wear those anymore. So I invite you to go to those tables um, as we worship. I'm gonna pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you that he is who we are defined by. We are not defined by what we have done, but who we have given ourselves over to. Lord, and if we give ourselves to you and if we just turn around, we know you are there. I thank you that because you rose from the dead, I don't have to live being known by all the bad things that I Lord, thank you so much that the worst things about me do not compare to the best things about you. Lord, let us think on this during this time. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.